All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Suprema, Suprema Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. I had a brilliant roll call for Curtis Blow. But for some reason, y'all ain't never gonna know it. Roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema. Sugar, yeah, I love you all, yeah, but once and for all, yeah, baseball. Coming off the cuff, yeah, rhyming words in English, yeah. So, why does it have to be so damn tough? Suprema, su- su- Suprema roll call, Suprema. Yeah. With Curtis Blow. Yeah. If you're hip hop, yeah. you should already know. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. I can't believe I messed up my roll call. Suprema. Roll call. One, two, three, four. Hit it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I'm going to spit it. Suprema. Roll call. Come back. Suprema. Suprema. Gentlemen, this is uh, Quest Love Supreme. I forgot the name of my own show. <laughs> we are at iHeartRadio. Thank you very much. Uh, we're here with Team Supreme. Uh, unpaid Bill and, not here. Uh, is not here. You are not Unpaid Bill. You are Boss Bill. <laughs> wow. I knew what I was saying. I knew. I was just testing to see if you knew who you were. Um, of course, we got uh, Sugar Steve and hey. we have uh, Laia yeah. with us. Uh, unpaid Bill right now is... Uh, doing his thing 
And uh, Broadway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whenever, whenever he's hit on Broadway, he he don't have time for us no more. Um, ladies and gentlemen, plain and simple, you know, uh, you you hear of uh, kings and pioneers and people bragging about their status in this culture. Um, I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that the gentleman that we're about to introduce is literally the pioneer of this amazing art form that has made trillions of dollars. What can I say? First rapper on a major label, first rapper to get a gold plaque, first rapper to cover a song, first rapper to make a love ballad, uh, first rapper to tour overseas. Um, I mean, his production credits loom large. I mean, for God's sakes, he produced the record that was Jay-Z's very first purchase of, of a full hip-hop album. Uh, speaking of the Fat Boys debut, um, I mean, through this man, like, this is how we know he was he was the entry of Russell Simmons into the world, of Run into the world, yes. of Full Force into mm. the professional world, of Allison Williams, of the great unheralded uh, Larry Smith and his production credits, um, the aforementioned Fat Boys, not to mention gave Salam Remy his first start Ooh. in production. Oh yes. my God, you know that a four yeah a fourteen year old <laughs> yes do we do we do our homework. Um, not to mention uh, what I what I credit as one of the rare legit hip hop movies about hip hop culture. Yes. This man is starred in as a political act- activist working with um, anti apartheid Sun City Project. Not to mention organizing uh, the King Celebrate Holiday. Yes. I mean, so many so many credits. Um, oh Jesus! We for a lot of us, <laughs> our entry to Bob Dylan. Right. In hip hop culture, hey. came to this yeah. dude. Yes, I'm pointing to the one and only first rapper on Soul Train. You know, Soul what? Train means everything to me. Wow, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm so honored to have on Quest Love Supreme, the one and only Curtis. <laughs> Blow oh, 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 to Quest Love Supreme. Thank you, thank you, man. Uh, this is a long time coming. We have a gazillion questions. This this is like a a this show is such a, a it's nerd out culture going awry. So it's just just bear with us if we we ask too many nerdy questions. That but that might. that intro was so incredible. I mean, you you, you kind of like had me shook there for a second. <laughs> I didn't know I did so much stuff. I'm sitting here like, whoa, yes, you did, wait a man. minute, I, I, I'm remembering things. We, now. We're 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 literally about giving flowers where they're due. And thank you, thank you. Thank yeah, you, yeah. thank you oh, so not, much. Yeah, there's so much more that you're doing. I'm, I've been known to make like 15 minute intros, and then it's time to go. <laughs> um, grand opening, grand closing. Right. So, what I really this is this is like one of our first chances to interview someone that was there for the beginning of hip hop culture before it came a professional business. Mm-hmm. So, I have so many questions about. It's start and it's formation in the Bronx, to, like the parties and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for those that don't know, that listen to us that are that are younger, where were you born? I was born and raised in Harlem. Okay, Harlem. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yes, yes, sir. So, could you give us kind of a, a, I guess, a prototypical idea of what the environment was when hip hop was just a local block party thing? When it was just yes. You know, like on a Saturday, let's let's pick a Saturday in 1978 Ooh. before it was a business. Oh man, what what was what was? You should probably go back before 78. Like, it's, so, it's it's well, it's it's really amazing 
And it's a story that, you know, the energy and the vibe and the spirit that was going around New York City, the five boroughs during that time, was something that's so hard to explain. You really had to be there to, 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 to really understand that energy that was happening. See, we were all like a, a group of people who understood and, and really related and, and loved this culture way before it became a culture. So it was just like something new that we were trying to do and represent. Of course, you had disco mm-hmm. on this side of the fence, and then you had R&B, soul music, and uh, most of us grew up on soul music, and we loved James Brown and the Motown sound and the Isley Brothers and all of that stuff. And soul music, we started playing soul music when disco became the most prominent thing that you heard on the radio but if you, if you re- remember the Motown sound that we grew up on in the 60s the snare drum we're talking music theory now mm-hmm. the snare drum was on the one two three and the four pop 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 right. tap, boom, baby 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 mm-hmm. you know and 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 then disco comes out and it went back to the same four on the floor on the now. floor right we're talking about the kick drum right, right? The boom, 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 boom. So that beat for us wasn't like James Brown because James Brown, in between disco and Motown, had a musical revolution Mm -hmm. with the sound that we call boom bap. So Mm -hmm. the boom, bap, boom, bap, boom, bap, bap, boom, 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 bap. Syncopated rhythms. Syncopated rhythms. And the drummer, you know, Clyde Stubberfield was incredible. So as kids, when we heard this new sound, we were like, we lost our minds. Everybody wanted to be James Brown and dance like him. And uh, that's when we started going down to the floor whenever we heard the break because the break of the music was the most important part of the song. That's when everyone did their best dance moves. That's when we created the circle. So people, people just literally wanted to wait for the breakdown. Like, okay, that's in, what in it about was. five bars. That's what it was. It's really going to get crazy. And, and, and I'm talking in 1972, 73. Okay, okay. So here comes Cool Herc, the DJ, who understood this, that the break was so very important. And we were B-boys and B-girls because we danced to the breaks that Cool Herc would play. And he would play these funky, incredible songs like Give It Up or Turn It Loose or mm. Getting Into Something by the Isley Brothers or or Listen to Me by Baby Huey or, or Jimmy Castor Has Just Begun, just mm-hmm. The Mexican, you know, The Melting Pot, Apache. Right. You know, all these incredible songs were they were soul music but they were fast and 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 it was the same kind of tempo as disco music it was dance music i call it obscure dance music it was funk Mm -hmm. and we just lost our minds so we represented and created those circles around us just like saturday night fever you know the movie with john travolta Mm -hmm. with the white suit on you create this circle around him and pretty soon somebody comes in the circle and they do a competition and a battle and the winner of that competition was the most popular guy he was the hero of of the story right right and so that's what happened at the cool hurt clubs around 12 one o'clock and and in the morning he played this give it up or turn it loose and everybody was standing around waiting for the break when that break came we went off and that was hip-hop the first early days of hip-hop Now, for that particular record that you gave an example of, with Give It Up or Turn It Loose, which that particular recording was made in 1969. So even yes, though James Brown himself 
was trying to keep up with the trends of the day and make disco records. You're basically saying that you guys never left those records alone. So a song like Get On The Good Foot still had life way beyond its 1972 release. Like it still was something in 74, 75, 76, as long as it had a funk break. So did you guys look at the the commercial music at the time as kind of like how we look at modern pop radio now? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. listen to that. I listen to... No, it was cool. It was cool. It was all right. right. You know, we we, we listened to it. It was on the radio. But nobody was breakdancing to like Stevie Wonder's I Wish. You know. (laughs) know No, it was more like, you know, the village people. Why am I Oh, okay. So like the commercial disco stuff. Okay. uh, Donna Summer and stuff like that. We were like, yo, we want James Brown. You know what I mean? (laughs) I see. So so, so, uh, hip hop became that, that rebellion to disco. I call it... You know, ghetto disco. Okay. For those that been collecting tapes and and, and really keeping up in, in the sort of the, the early formation of what hip hop was, the the role the MC was once the, the, the co star to who the DJ was. So right. can you what I wanna know is and I've heard like some of these like uh DJ Hollywood tapes. Right. Where in my mind he had an endless vocabulary, an endless combination of rhymes that came out of nowhere. Now, I mean, most MCs I know really have a good 15 to 20 minute repertoire before they run out of space and steam and, you right, know, right, don't right. know what to do. But he's, his things seem endless. Like, who was, who in your mind were like the top five? First of all, who was the one, was Hollywood the pioneer of the call and response, rhyming, cadence, right, right. at least in the hip-hop sense. I know there was Jocko Henderson and all that stuff back yeah, in the day. Yeah, of but, course, of course. But who was, in terms of hip-hop, was DJ Hollywood first? Like, where does Hollywood and Eddie Chiba and, like, all these other MCs that really weren't making records? Okay, so after Herc, okay. you have to see that there, there were two different kinds of crowds. Okay. First and foremost, you know. Flash, Grandmaster Flash calls them the shoe people and the sneaker people. Oh, <laughs> so there's now, bourgeois and, and, okay. You know, the sneaker people, you know, we, we partied at the block parties and in the community centers and the park jams and and, and, and the, the, the uh, small around-the-way clubs, you know, like 371 Disco Fever up in the Bronx and places like that. But, you know, Grandmaster Flash was so very important to this transition uh, from the DJ being the focal point of the party. He controlled the music, he controlled the ambiance, he controlled the lights, he controlled the tempo of the songs he was playing. Oh, he, hired, he hired and <laughs> fired the MCs. The MCs were first a dime a dozen. All we did was we, 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 we went to the house and we got the equipment and took the equipment to the gig and set it up. Right. And at the end of the night, we break it down and carry it back to the house. And the DJ would let us in free. You know, so that's your plus. That's your getting on the guest list. <laughs> and and so you know, if if we were nice to him, or if he was nice to us and feeling good, he would let us make announcements like, "Yo, Joey, your mom's outside. It's ten o'clock. You gotta go." You know, Sam. Oh, okay. Sam, your car's getting towed. You know. Right. Okay. And uh, so Flash, you know, now Herc played a whole song. Right. He had the most incredible playlist. All the songs I named and. There are about 20, 25, 30 songs, maybe even 50, soul music in a club. Right. And so Flash understood that 
the most important part of this song that he played was the break because he knew all the b-boys would go down to the floor and start doing their best moves everyone got crazy and started yelling and screaming you know when the break came and so he wanted to try to find a way to extend this break because the break was only 15 20 seconds long and so he got two copies of the same record and he started playing the break Herc would play a whole song and right. you have to stand up waiting for the break to come, <laughs> right? Oh, Flash okay. went there. He just started the break at the top of the song, you know, and he played a break. And when it got to the end of the break, before the, the singing started coming back in, he played the beginning of the break again. So he actually extended this break and um, made it from 15, 20 seconds to three, four minutes. Right. Right? So we had to do more as MCs then make announcements. So I have a question. At the time, what was the transition? Because are people, they not, are we scratching yet? Right. He, he started scratching. And, flash? Okay. You know, all of, all, he was very, very fast because you had to go from one turntable to right. the other to catch the beat before it ended and got to the whack part. Right. Right. <laughs> and so um, he extended the break. and it Shout gave out to Theodore, too. Right. Okay. Theodore listens to the show. He'll get mad. Yes, Theodore, we know you invented the scratch. Okay, okay. that's what I was Grand okay. Wizard Theodore. Yes. Grand right. Wizard, yes, yes, we love you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was like DJs like that that gave us the opportunity to shine. So we became like, instead of standing on the side of the turntables just making announcements, we went out front. Okay. And started rocking the crowd. And we had to do more. So we started telling stories and rapping in rhythm and, you know, using crowd response, throw your hands in the air and all of that stuff. And that's how, you know, it really came off. So Hollywood, get into Hollywood, he was a master at the crowd response. And uh, he had a Puerto Rican DJ by the name of DJ Junebug. Rest in peace. The best DJ I ever saw in my life. Very fast, accurate would keep the beat going for Hollywood, and he was just tearing it up. When I saw Hollywood at this Club 371, it blew my mind. I never knew that there was something like this possible, you know, that a guy could just take control of an audience and have them eating out of the palm of his hands just by the way that he was rapping in rhythm. First time I ever heard rhythmic rap was DJ Hollywood, you know, of course, there were other MCs before him, like KC, the Prince of Soul, JJ, the Disco King. You had up in the Bronx with Herc. You had Coke LaRock. He was the first MC up in the Bronx rocking, just talking smack on the microphone. Right. Okay. You know, but Hollywood put it together with rhythmic chants, like throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. And if you got on clean underwear, somebody say, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, everybody, you, you got to say, oh, yeah. You know? I, I got I on the scene. Word. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm commando, so. Oh, oh, I didn't need to know that. Hey I'm there. playing, I'm playing. Hey <laughs> yeah, mama, I got clean on the So, it's, was that a eureka moment for you? Like It was a eureka moment. I mean, you know, just seeing Herc, the first time I saw Herc, it blew my mind. Just to, the fact that he had this big, huge, humongous sound system. And he was playing these songs that I grew up with that I, I just thought that, you know, Give It Up or Turn It Loose was my favorite song. And he played it loud and, and everyone went crazy. And then you had Grandmaster Flash was another one, blew my mind with the speed on the turntables. Right. And this guy had white gloves on with rings on and they were just flashing. He's going to turn 
tape. I saw him at the Hotel Diplomat one time, and that was just amazing to see how fast he was and keeping that beat going. And and, and it's real what we call turntablism, right. this evolution of the turntable, the DJs. And Flash gave us the opportunity, along with Hollywood. Everyone mimicked Hollywood when he came out. He blew my mind as well. Did you guys ever venture out of the boroughs? So was there a thing of like, you know, was touring for you back then like, okay, I'm going to do a party in Queens or would Long Island be a part of this folklore as well? Staten Island even like Newark or was it just or even Newark like were or did Burroughs just like stick to themselves until rap became a business? Well, me, I, I was a traveler. I, I went from Harlem, you know, at 14 years old, 15 years old, traveling that number four train riding up to the Bronx, you know, to check out Cool Herc at the Executive Playhouse. And and it was scary, you know. That was during the time when Roots had came out, right. Alex, Alex Haley's Roots. Right. And so there was a lot of that, you know, right straight out of the civil rights movement, and cats were like feeling themselves, and there was a lot of violence on that train. You know what I mean? A lot of people. So you were risked getting, everything just to see. Man, it was worth. It. That's why I want to know what makes. That's the one. The one thing I didn't have. Like I had strict parents. Right. They were just like, no, you ain't going. So whenever I hear like. Uh, the generation after you talk about the Latin Quarter, right, right, and I'm like, yo, y'all could have y'all risking y'all lives to hear this. Like, you might get stabbed, shot, killed, or hurt. Oh, so <laughs> no, but, no. Hey, but understand, you know, understand. You know, you know. There were so many things uh, going around in the community in New York City that was happening during that time, and I'm telling you, hip hop was like a savior. You know, like, like you know, we had the gangs. Mm -hmm. The gangs, like, the, that movie The Warriors was real. There were a lot of gangs. I remember running home from school, you know, in the early, early 70s because all you had to do was say, they coming, and we, we out. You know what really? I mean? You know, going to the corner store for my mom. It's like, yo, you want me to go to store? Risk you know, your life. Okay, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one that goes to that. It's crazy. And then you had— for toilet paper, and then, then you, <laughs> you had to map out— <laughs> You had the drug wars of, of, of the Bronx and Harlem coming out of the, the uh, Frank Lucas story, mm -hmm. American mm -hmm. Gangster. Right. You know, when he went to jail, and I think it was 1974, 75, they had a big drug war. Everybody was fighting for his territory. So there were a lot of murders and, and gunshots and all around. People were just dropping like flies. Um, you know, so it, it was kind of dangerous. It was dangerous living during that time. So for me, you know, it was my savior. I used to love to go to the club and just, you know, go to the speaker and stick my head in the speaker. And, and the bass was rumbling all the way through my toes. And I just closed so all my all that was worth it. I closed my eyes and, and go off. And, and that's hip hop. He so just told me the story of the first time I ever went to a club. Like, I. Everyone has an experience. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. put your head in the speaker and it just changes your life. Yeah. Yep. What do you think hip hop culture would have been if there was no blackout of 1977? A um, lot of a lot of cats talk about that because uh, a lot of qu equipment, equipment right, right, right. was uh, obtained right. <laughs> <laughs> during those years, during that 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 blackout 1977. Right. Uh, uh, but for me, uh, it was more like you know. We hit the local bike store, and I got, like, three bikes. <laughs> <laughs> so you wanted to travel. See, you're a traveler. See? I told you he was a pioneer. He didn't want to be on that train. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah, a pioneer. No more, no more four train. <laughs> That's a long ride, though, to the Bronx. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> 
But you know, just traveling around New York City was 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 special for me. I I just thought that um, you know, I had cousins out in Queens and 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 Forty Projects and and Cambria and aunts and uncles all around Queens. So, you know, I used to spend my summers out in Queens. Actually, you know how 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 we all used to go south. Where you Down going? Right. Yeah, I'm going to Atlanta. Where you going? I'm going to North Carolina. Where you going? Kim and Kurt. Uh, we're going to Queens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> So but it's like another world, probably. You know, and and if suburbia, suburbia, that's what know, I was going to say. Really, Jamaica. That was, I used to know. get sent out to Jamaica. Oh, that part of Queens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And so, uh, just spending my um, days out there, uh, whenever I could, you know, having a lot of family out in Queens, I, I hung out with with um, Russell Simmons because I met him in college, and okay. he was from Hollis, Queens, and uh, um, we opened up a club in 1978 called Disco Fever. I mean, uh, uh, night fever disc. Okay, okay. <laughs> so wait, you were part of that? Okay. <laughs> and you opened up a club? And that was uh, two, 201st Street in Hollis Avenue. And uh, that's where I really got good as a DJ, you know, DJing in the club and for a year. And then we actually used propaganda, and Russell started putting my name on flyers. Queen's number one DJ, Curtis Blow. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he, and, he built the, the folklore of... Of Curtis Blow and that's right. how Russell was a, a sociology major, you know, so he, he understood about the masses and 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 the spectrum and 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 the different movements of, of people and what they would like and stuff like that. So he convinced me to let that propaganda happen. So is he the one that talked you into would you say that your entry into hip hop is what really put the focus on the MC as opposed to the DJ? Mm, no, um, because ho- I think Hollywood did that. He was actually the first king of rap. He was okay. so hot. He was the first guy that charged $500. <clears throat> Before that, we were making $30, $40 a night MCs. Or, you know, the the, the, the uh, popular ones were getting 100 $150 a night. But Hollywood was the first to charge 500 You want $500? But Hollywood at your party meant a guaranteed show, you know. Oh, yeah, it was packed. You have a line around the corner, you know. And and, and so cats started, you know, trying to charge $500. And they were like, shit, nigga, you ain't Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. 
Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I guess technically your first single was Christmas Rapping, correct? Yes, 1979. Okay, so please, how did that come about? And how did you avoid Sylvia Robinson and Joey <laughs> and also Bobby Robinson at Enjoy? There's no relationship between the two, right? Like they just... Both coincidentally have the name right. Robinson. So Enjoy right, right. Bobby Robinson and Sylvia Robinson were not related, correct? Yeah, Bobby Robinson was from Harlem. He had that store on 125th Street. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, Bobby Bobby's Records, you okay. know, and he goes back to the to the 40s and 50s. Yeah. You know, he has a lot of contacts. Everybody knows him in, in soul music and R&B music. Okay. And so... Um, you know, during that time, of course, Sugar Hill Gang, when they came out, well, well let's give a shout out to King Tim the Third. That was actually the first right. my bad, my record bad. personality jock. You just clap your hands and you stomp your feet because you're listening to the sound of the show. I'm the K-I-N-G, the G-I-M, King Tim the Third, and I am him. And um, so here comes Sugar Hill. Every bus, every car, every train wanted to play that Rapper's Delight song. Mm-hmm. I said a hip Every taxi, every boom box, every record store was playing it 24-7. And so we were in the studio in October. And um, so we were trying to get a record deal. I think I got my record deal because Rapper's Delight was so hot. We went to 22 different labels, though. Yikes. And everybody hated the record except for two people. The first guy uh, liked it. He wanted to sign it up, sign me up. Uh, so, so he took it up the flagpole to the vice president and president, and uh, they said no. So what this, label was that? That was uh, the guy's name was uh, Corey Robbins. Okay. Now Corey quit his job because of this, and he went and started his own label. And two years later, he signed Run DMC, and the label is called Profile Records. Damn. Okay. Right. So the next guy is an English fellow, John Staines. He's anon director for Mercury Polygram Records over in the UK in London. He said, we can recoup this record in six months. Let's sign him up. So actually, really? <laughs> actually, I became a British artist really? signed to a company called Mercury Phonogram out in the UK. And my records came back to America on an import. 
<laughs> Crazy deal. So they had you first, and they knew you first. Yeah, so I was the first artist signed to a major label. So can I assume that your A&R was the... Was the person that said, Twice the night before Christmas. Before you interrupted him with, <laughs> Hold it now, wait. Hold it now, <laughs> wait. Was he, was he the twice the night? That's him. Uh, <laughs> How right. did you guess that, Amir? Is that nice like always the situation? No, I just put two and two together. The guy was English and, you know, and that, those, it's, you know, a lot of the earlier records, it's, it's really weird, especially with your catalog. A lot of your catalog, and I hope I'm not opening up a, a, well, hopefully the the grace period is over. <laughs> even as, even as I was recapping your catalog, I didn't realize how much, in particular, the the Bomb Squad when Public Enemy was making Nation of Millions, oh. right, right, used a lot of your yeah. records as the basis for their rhythms. Right, which right. I just found out today that the, the, from the back uh, popular demand album, right, one of those songs is the basis for the Night of Living Bassheads. Remix, which oh, is weird. Man. They could have just sampled James Brown, but right. instead they were like, "All right, let's sample." It's meta, like let's sample Curtis Blow sampling right, right, James right. Brown with the extra kicks in there and all that stuff. So, anyway, I'm falling in a rabbit hole. But my <laughs> my point is, uh, yeah, you were one of the very first uh, rappers to travel overseas. So, what is that like? Literally being the Trojan horse or the the Neil Armstrong or the or the the flagship guinea pig. <laughs> I don't want to say Christopher Columbus because I don't believe no. him. But I'm just saying <laughs> he didn't Colum- on Columbus Day, right? Exactly. Like just to, an Italian to be the 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 flag bearer of like was there a resistance? Was there or did you find no. that in Europe like they were really more open? Because you also did Top of the Pops, right? Right, right. Yes. What yes. was that like, man? It it's like a dream world. You know, I, I tell people this many a times that that my life is like a dream world. It's it's hard to um, understand reality mm-hmm. when when you're you know in the right place at the right time. And you know, big shout out to Debbie Harry who actually flew me out to the UK for a big what? big 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 press conference. And um, you know, being on a major label that means you know major press. That means we have a major office in every major city around the world. And being a college student, you know, I wanted to work the system, and so I went to the publicity department. I said, "Man, send me everywhere. I want to travel all over." Right. You know. And when I got there, I sat up in the conference room, and we had all the press, you know, lined up from print magazines, newspapers, radio, television. It was incredible and awesome to just be a part of all of that stuff. And it was documented, you know, this new thing called hip-hop. And I was representing this, so... Was it tiring, like, trying to explain to people no. what this was? Or, no, no, you know, no. the history of it? And... No, no. Being a communications major... I was going to ask I, what uh, your major was. Yeah. I, uh, I uh, love to talk. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> so, uh, and then it was so very, very important. Like you said, you know, we had to actually, you know, be good on stage, right. you know, because that was very, very important to the success of the culture uh, when people see you live on stage. And during that time, if you didn't have a good show, people the next day would not go out and buy your record. Right. That's how, you know, the music business operated. You know, you, you go out on tour and you sing your new song, your new album, and then the next day everyone goes and buys the record. This is how they support it. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and so going out there on stage for the first time and the, seeing these audiences and the audiences seeing me for the first time or seeing hip hop for the first time. A lot of that, you know, where's your band? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but at the end of the show, they're all saying, oh, you know, and and it was so very important for us to rock the house. And that was key to, you know, my experience in being in New York City, around the five boroughs, just, you know, playing the clubs and, you know, like the Night Fever Disco and the Hotel Diplomat 371 Disco Fever, you know, the the block parties and the park jams, just being um, used to handling a microphone and mic control. MC means mic control. And uh, it was so very important. I, I just thank God that I had that experience seven, eight years in the biz before I made my first record. So in in touring uh, behind the single, especially mainstream, I'm assuming that you did tours with regular acts and whatnot. Yeah. Okay, so I know now, I mean, especially with, uh, I mean, even in modern times, like watching the the Wu-Tang series that's on TV right now, Uh and it's to the point now where, at least of this recording, where like the RZA is starting the tour and... What I, what I call like rapper problems, like with the monitors not working, and yeah. the, the, you know the the proper channels for the DJ and the you know all those things, and the mics not working. Like, how difficult was it as far as like opening? First of all, like what what mainstream bands were you touring with mm-hmm. back during this period? Like, who were you opening for in America at least? Okay, um, people like. Cool and the Gang and the Gap Band and uh, Confunction. I remember going on tour uh-huh. in 1980, the all-platinum tour with the Commodores. The Commodores were really, really hot. Lionel Richie had right. all those ballads and stuff. And uh-huh. wow, we did about 120 shows around the country. And they took me places I never heard of before, like Tupelo, Mississippi, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> And a lot of college towns. It was incredible just being a part of that tour and uh, meeting people. And 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 for me, it was like, you know, I had this thing. I had to. It became a mission of mine to meet my heroes that I grew up. All those soul singers right. that I that I listened to as a kid. I just wanted to meet them and hug them. And so I had again my record company set it up. The publicity department, Beverly Page. She okay. set it up with, with people like, I, I met Aretha Franklin. Really? Over, and she invited me for lunch over at Hitsville Studio. And we sat and talked for an hour. And, you know, and this is. talk about her rapping son. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, if you, if you have any dealings, if you're in the hip hop nation and you have any dealings with Aretha Franklin, trust me, her son's name's going to come up. <laughs> trust me, I know. Alf? Yeah. My sister went to high school with him. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's still yeah. looking for a deal right now. So wait, how, how early on was the Aretha meeting? Because I'm wondering, I'm like, how did, how did she know that she needed to have a conversation? It was like 81, 1981. Or you you got to understand, like, like he that. was a star out the gate. I understand like, that, especially but for Aretha Roll- Franklin to understand that is a whole nother no, level. I mean, like, yeah. Roll- especially with roller skating culture, like, really hitting its zenith in, like, 19... 19- like, the breaks to me... That song was tailor made for roller skating culture. Like between mm. seventy eight boom and eighty three, at least roller skating culture. So it was like I feel as though that's roller skating culture is what allowed boogie music. Like the breaks wasn't a disco song. Mm. 
So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, but it still had a groove to it that was like disco, but slower. Right. So it made it easy to navigate on skate. Yeah, all levels, all levels. And so, yeah, they're like, I don't recall, like, we went roller skating every Sunday in the summer of 1980, and the breaks had to have been played five times, five, six times, like, without, between, like, Curtis Blow and Rick James. Like, it was like the oh. battle of who owned <laughs> roller skates. So, how important are relationships? Because I also know that it's kind of weird. I'm, I'm a soul train expert. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So here's the thing about your particular ex- episode. Uh-oh. So when Don's talking to you, and this is something that he's known for every episode, he kind of lets in a snarky thing like, I'm an old guy, I don't understand, but, you know, the kids love it, I don't get it, but whatever. But, I mean, at least the resistance. How much resistance did you have to go, not only to get your record deal, but, like, what was it just like for people not to see the future because people hate change more than anything well even if it's good for them there's there's a story behind that um you know again it's 1980 right and uh i was just coming off a tour in europe okay i think i did about 30 shows in 33 days or something monumental tour but um during that time millie vanilli over in europe was the hottest thing on the press, with the press. Right. Everyone was talking about them and their show, their live show, their lip singing. Okay. Right? And it was like the record company came to me, the promoters came to me, oh, you can't lip sing, make sure you don't lip sing, I'm telling you they're going to boo you and this and that. We don't play that over here in Europe and you got to do an hour and a half, you know. Oh, have a real show. uh. Right? And so I'm, I'm like, okay, no problem. And, 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 you know, I'm made for that because I have a, on every song, most every song about the 10, first 10 singles, I have the B-side has an instrumental and I rap live. Mm-hmm. You know, we call it half playback. So I got through the tour. But when I came back to America and I'm setting up for Soul Train, I'm sitting in, in the uh, makeup room and Irene Cara is sitting right there. <laughs> and that, at the forefront of my mind, I'm thinking about, you know, Millie Vanilli and what's going on there. And I know that, you know, they lip sync on Soul Train. That's their policy. Yeah. So here comes Don Coley. Oh, well, the stage manager comes in with the microphone. The microphone's got this phony little plug. Right. Right. <laughs> It's all right. You got to lip sing and make sure you, you know, you, you word the words, you know, you mouth the words just like the song and, 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 and be in rhythm. And they didn't stuff do like camera that. blocking back then? I'm like, look. We're weird, right? <laughs> I am not going to lip sing. Uh-uh. That's not what I do. This is hip hop. We do hip hop here. This is live. I need, and plus I got crowd response. I need to say these, these words, the crowd response, and have the whole audience answer back to me you know what i mean it's very important this is hip-hop i'm not lip-singing and they were like oh don cornelius came in what do you mean you're not going to lip-sing this is our rules this is our policy well look mr cornelius i'm going home (laughs) (laughs) how about that one irene cara looked at me like boy you crazy (laughs) (laughs) right and so um because isn't it everyone's dream to be on Soul Train? Like, yes, yes, and and it was a big thing. But I, I did not want to get the Europeans and 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 America hasn't, you know, gotten this news yet about Millie Vanilli yet. Well, you know. you're predating it. 
and I did But you mean just with lip singing and stuff? I didn't want to have that that reputation. Right. You okay. Know? So I was the first artist to sing live. Right. The brakes on Soul Train. So that's why Don comes out with that snorky. You want to uh, know what? Everybody's <laughs> making so much a big fuss about this. Oh, thing. is that what he said? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was a little, it was a little, mm, it was snarky. It wasn't like. And I was shocked because I looked at him like, nigga, <gasps> no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. So by this point, was Run your DJ on this initial run? Uh, yes. Yes. He was. Yeah. Oh, but no, 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 no. After that, after the uh, before the Commodores tour, here's a story about Run. Run was my DJ before the Commodores tour, okay. that all platinum tour. So Run was out playing basketball with this guy down the block named uh, Jason Mizell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So he breaks his arm playing basketball. And so I'm like, yo, we got to go on tour, man. He's, uh, I was asking his dad. His dad's, no, you can't go out on tour. Please, dad, let me go, let me go. He said, no, no, you got to stay in school. He said, no, please, dad, let me go on tour. You Look, you got one arm. You can't DJ. Yes, I can. Look, bam, bam, bam. Right. <laughs> right. And so he didn't get to go, and he stayed home. So when I got back off a of tour about, about four months later, that's when I heard that he started a group called Run DMC with his fellas that were up in the attic practicing and hanging out with him. And oh. uh, so the story is, if if Run didn't break his arm, there would be no Run DMC. Wow. He'd be your DJ. He would just been your DJ. Yeah. Can I ask and a- Russell didn't have enough pull to be like, Dad, I'll take care of him? Like, Was Russell also traveling with you at the... No, nah, dad was running the show. Yeah, yeah. Dad dad was very powerful. He bought run the turntables. Okay. Because it's three brothers, the, right? Like Danny, Russell, and Run. Right. And exactly. who's the oldest? Because I was getting Danny's confused with Danny. The okay. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering. Russell's the middle child and Joey is the run the uh the youngest. Can I ask you uh, a Russell's question the about middle. that makes that explains so much. It what? Does. <laughs> Russell's the middle child. Oh yeah, you gotta make yourself distinct. Yeah. <laughs> What's your question? About touring, because I know since you were the first to ever tour like this internationally there had to be mm-hmm. like some mistakes there had to be like some moments where you and you and Russell were like okay so we're not going to do this like that again like there were just so many new things to you guys like did you even know about writers did you know like what didn't you know that you learned in your first mm-hmm. how I many learned, lost I, passports yeah. or <laughs> I, I had to learn it all I learned it all on Where's the, your traveling on the like back fly then? oh it was incredible <laughs> I was I was the most sought after live act because it was just me and my DJ. Uh, just two you know, people? Two people. Two turntables and a microphone. Really? Yes. So not the first to start the entourage. Right. Right. That's the only So you were easy to work with. But then Russell in 81. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <Yeah. laughs> so here he comes with Larry Smith. Larry Smith was playing bass. Right. Played bass on the breaks and Christmas rap. and um, so, so Larry he, Smith... Produced Orange Crust was the band for all those for Christmas rap. No, 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 not Orange Crush. That okay. came after Afterwards. Okay. Russell took $40,000 of my money Uh-oh. Uh-oh. and bought all this band. You know, he gave it to Larry. Larry bought the band equipment and, and, and they said, All right, you're going out with the band. I'm like, What? Yeah. How could you do that? I, I, I didn't okay this. He said, Wait, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm the manager. <laughs> I'm the manager. So you built Larry Larry uh, Smith's career. 
Well, you uh, provided the budget. budget that got him all the equipment. <laughs> no, Larry, I got to give props to him because he was oh, yeah. no, no, he was a genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent but, musician, incredible producer. Right. You know, I remember many of the nights we sat up and talked about you know my sound and trying to get a sound that was in between James Brown and Chic. Right. And um, Larry was the man. He was definitely the man. I love him. So who Rest worked on like uh, Christmas rapping and rapping and blow and and yeah that was Larry Larry was on the bass okay uh, but you had um, uh, John Trope okay was uh-huh. on guitar and we had um, Jimmy Braylow who actually went on to become a Lindrum consultant and uh, a Lindrum uh, programmer. programmer okay and um, uh, he was on drums and. You know, so uh, during that time, you know, we recorded in the studio like the the 70s and the 60s. It was a live band. Right. You know what I mean? And and, and we had to rehearse and, you know, oh, let's play it one more time and right. record it. And hopefully it would come out okay. I, I'm sorry. And we do white, rough. My white guy vocal. in the corner has a question. Yes. <laughs> um, so John Tropia. Yeah. The guitarist. Yes. So was he the guitar? He's a... To, to me, he's a famous jazz guitarist. Yeah. Right, um, right. And I, I didn't, he's on the breaks. He's, wow, that's his work. That's his holy shit. His work. That <laughs> yeah, guitar on the breaks. Is he on? School me other, on him. Is yeah. he on Run DMC's stuff? Too? No, that uh, was uh, um, Eddie, or not Eddie Sancho. Uh, well, Eddie Sancho did uh, Martinez. Rock Bucks. Uh, okay. Eddie Martinez. Eddie did Martinez. Rock Bucks. Wow. No, I, I, I need to process. I'm not schooling you on anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know too much about about him. I just I have a few records. You know, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. he don't get blown away easily, but it is Curtis Blow. No, that's just yeah. a really yeah, weird, I, unexpected. No. It yeah. was unexpected name. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's a legend, definitely a legend. And um, wow, you know, I, I remember name seeing him in the studio because my producer JB Moore was also a guitar player, and he couldn't do the guitars right the way we wanted mm. it, and the way he wanted it actually. And so when John came in and played it, perfectly. Perfect rhythm. And, and it was just immaculate, you know. Guitar drives the tone. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for your first album, like, whose idea was it to do, like, taking care of business? And <laughs> to do oh all the God. girls. And what's the other one? The, ooh, the slow one that's like, mm. All I want yes. in this world. <laughs> yes. Find that girl. Yes. Yeah, people don't even credit that as the first love yeah. ballad. So yeah, yeah. it's like, for you, you were making a format that was palatable to radio. Where it was like Frankie Crocker in your mind, like okay, <laughs> or was it the label me... saying we need something that you know? That... Right. Well, it, it it was all by design, of course. You know, we we wanted to, you know, have a fusion uh, with other forms of music because it was so brand new. This thing, hip hop, and and rap. You know, so why not rap over a, a rock and roll song? Why not have a, a reggae rap? Or I was the first to do a country and western rap. Way out west. That we way out west song, you know. You know, we, we, we just tried to be different and tried to give something new. The sky was and, the limit, man. In retrospect, though, do you see how, like, free you were in that moment? Because I feel like a lot of MCs to date, out the gate, couldn't mm-hmm. just say, I'm going to produce and that and this different genre. I'm not, I, they won't they won't, won't be allowed to. Well, here's the thing. I always wanted to be a singer. And um, <laughs> I remember singing those singing songs that I, every album I put on the singing Daydreaming. song. Yeah, all the joints. Yeah. But listen, folks, it, it took me. A couple of weeks to do those vocals. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie. I hear you. All right, y'all. 
You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's party time. So in 83, uh, in Philadelphia, uh, party time. Very oh, big record. Oh, yes. Which, of course, you know, uh, well, Laya would know that. Tracy Lee? Tracy Lee. Hey, like, Trey. Yeah. Like, try to, bring, try to bring that back. So that was the first time I've ever heard Full Force on record. Wow. So how did you... How did you hook up with those guys as far as like, did they produce that record or were they just a band or like, what was, how did you guys? No, um, they became producers after that because we sat in the studio and talked about, you know, uh, uh, J.B. Moore and Robert Ford and what they were doing on Mime Stuff and how they wanted to do the same thing, but differently, more funkier or or more creative. Uh, uh, So they were incredible. I met them through uh, J.B. Moore and Robert Ford. And uh, very, very, very talented musicians and singers. And uh, it was incredible just to be a part of that. But the Go-Go song. Talk about it. Trouble Funk? Wow. Or the Trouble EU. Funk, okay. That was EU. EU. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here it is on, on my birthday. I turned 21 years old. Mm-hmm. I had the number one record in the country. And uh, so I'm going down to play the Capitol Center down in D.C., so I had my band, remember the Orange Crush band? I got Timbales and, oh, man, I, we got like eight, eight, nine pieces, right? Right. We rolled down to the, the Capitol Center. <laughs> and I'm headlining this concert, and they have all these local bands there. And I didn't know what they were, you know, what it was. So Uh-oh. I walk in the spot, I'm hearing... First time hearing Go-Go? First time I'm hearing Go-Go. Yeah. The whole crowd is going crazy. I'm saying, oh, I'm about to tear this place. <laughs> right? Yes. So they were going crazy, and it was a band called Trouble Funk. Then another right. band came on... Uh, 
EU freeze, right? They went on and same thing. And the crowd is going crazy again, even more crazy. So I'm like, wow, Chuck Brown was there. Oh, my God. Right? Yes. Right? The Godfather. He comes out and tears up the spot, too. So it's my turn. Uh-oh. So I go out there. <laughs> uh, I don't like where you take the story. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let me cue this music up. So go ahead. It is I, I throw on Christmas rapping. We playing Christmas rapping. The band is tight, clean, and everything. But the crowd is like this, looking at us like. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh! I mean, I mean, we better get to the breaks, and you know, quick on this one here, right? Right. So I'm, I'm speeding through the set, and then we throw on the brakes. Clap your hands, there we go. Right, right. Yeah. And then like, no, wow. still, still, nope. right. Number one record in country, and um, so that night I got my butt tore up three or four different times, and for me it was like. My mom's always said, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm. Hell yeah. So I got all their numbers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Nice. Next year, I Came called back. my boy Sugar Bear. Yeah. And so we that's did Sugar Bear and them playing on Party Time? We did um, Party Time. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And it's just wonderful to have them in the studio just doing that thing live. And, and how many pieces incredible. in the studio in that moment? The oh, evening? yeah. It was like seven, eight pieces. <laughs> Yeah. And so you were the first for that, too, I'm guessing. The oh, first yeah. to do a go-go collab. Well, oh, no. Because no? Flash and them did a, they did a live version. Well, they actually signed Trouble Funk 2 Sugar right. Hill Records. Right, like, right. The first live go-go that I've heard was Trouble Funk Live on Sugar Hill. So the Robinsons got there early on that. And but, then um, actually, actually, the first sample loop, right? Mm-hmm was on the song If I Rule the World and and the, the sample was Trouble Funk. You know that pump, 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 yeah, pump yeah. it up. That push was it your... to, push right. it to, I took the percussion part. And laid it under If I Rule the World. Okay, okay. How did that feel for you? To have that song come back and for people to learn that you're, you know, you're the origin of 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 that particular song because that song means so much to. Yeah. I like your harmonies. Nas the best, fans though. and <laughs> he got better harmonies. Okay, well, I'm just saying. well for Lauren me, the trash it was. <laughs> I'm not I'm just saying that song right there, no. Curtis. You know, you top top it, Lauren. It was just that was you and Allison Williams actually. <sighs> right, that's Allison singing. Yeah, uh, yes, 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 too, right. Yes, yes. Fonda Ray was on that? Yeah, yeah. Fonda Ray. Yeah, I know yeah. that name. You had the heavy hitters. And Audrey Wheeler. Yes. You had the heavy hitters. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. And See, so... I knew the harmonies were better. <laughs> <laughs> nah, right, it, was, it, it was awesome. It's, it's the ultimate in flattery to, to hear your song on the radio that you recorded some time ago. I remember when Sony sent me the tape, they sent me a cassette tape, and it was awesome. I sat there and played the tape in my car. Right. For about three hours, kept rewinding and rewinding it, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, that's got to be Lauren Hill. That's got to be Lauren Hill, you know. So I called them back. I said, look, Sony, you guys got a big, major, major monster hit on you. You better put all your promotion in this because this is going platinum. It really? went, It went triple platinum. Yeah. Now, did yeah. you think that for Too Close or... <laughs> Same thing. You Same thing. You heard it. You was but like... I didn't, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear that song like... Like I sat and, you know, listened to If I Rule the World. 
because I feel like the checks are the same. Like that song gets played <laughs> more than if I ruled the world, right? Yeah. Talk it was, about next two close. It was hit. It was huge. It won uh, song of the year, I think, in ninety something. Jesus Christ, I forgot about next. I'm like the song that you get annoyed because it just played all the time. No, that's, I, that's hey, that keeps the dance floor, you know, as a DJ, I need that song, so I get it. Um, I, I, I know, uh, I don't want to skip 84, and I know that your involvement in the King Celebration thing, yes, was important. Can you tell the story? I've heard the story about you personally, like Prince funding this. Is this Sing Celebrate? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, okay. King, yes, so, yes. so for, how did the idea come to be? Well, I got a phone call from Dexter Scott King, okay. Martin Luther King's son. The fine one. And <laughs> it was incredible. Is he the only one? No, so they all love. Okay. Here he goes, uh, uh, hello, Curtis. Uh, this is Dexter Scott King, and uh, I'm the son of Martin Luther King. And He sounds like his I name. want you to produce a song about my father. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no, I hung up on him. <laughs> Bam. You thought it was a prank? Right? I thought it was a prank. He called me back. I hung up on him again. So the third time I listened to him, I was like, well, he's got to be real. He's calling three times. Right. So, so we got together, became good <laughs> friends. So another guy, Philip Jones, who was the other producer on the set. And um, I went to back to Mercury, Polygram, mm-hmm. and um, convinced them to, to sponsor this song. And... Uh, they paid for the studio, and um, I called all the artists. It was no one said no, mm-hmm. so the idea was to use all the people that weren't in "We Are the World," right? Yeah. And so, uh, yes, Whitney, including an unknown Whitney Houston. <laughs> Whitney said yes. Right. And uh, Stephanie Mills said yes. Manuno with, with uh, Ricky Martin. Ricky Martin. Yeah. It was incredible. Well, can you I'm, give us one note? Who was the one artist that was like, mm, oh, no. I'll, yeah, I'll make it, and then didn't. No, everyone said, yeah, it, it was incredible. It was such a meaningful song, mm-hmm. you know, to be a part of that. And um, it was it was a lot of fun to make, you know. So what and was then, Prince's? Uh, so, the, so the record company did not want to pay for the video, the music video. Okay. So um, um, uh, Dexter, Dex went and, and, and got with Prince. And asked Prince, would he pay for it? And he calls me up and said, Prince said he's going to put up $90,000 for this music video. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes, it did. And and Prince and I became friends after that. I wow. mean, he was really, really I, I a nice involved in guy. Groove. I forgot. Right. And you know me. I'm trying to, you know, hang out with all the stars that I could. And so I went back to my record company. I said, hook up something for me and Prince. We got to do something together. So they, they did. Beverly Page, she hooked up this picture autograph session with me and Prince. I think what? we were in Detroit somewhere. And the wow. club was packed. There's a line outside of all these women. <laughs> right? Of course. And so Prince signs about 1,500 autographs and takes about 1,500 pictures. And me, I took about 10 pictures. <laughs> really? He was a big, huge superstar. People loved him, man. What a great guy. Wow. Yep, yep. So uncharacteristic of him. Yeah. You man. never know. Um, working he, on the Crush Groove uh, sound uh, movie. Yes. Uh, well, obviously... You know, we know that's based on the the life of Russell Simmons. But 
how was that experience for you in general? Well, it was it was a lot of hard work. I'll tell you the truth, because during that time I was a producer, mm-hmm. and um, so I was producing the Fat Boy's second album, and and producing my America album with F.I. Rule the World on right, it, right? Yeah, and also the Crush Groove soundtrack. So I was producing three albums at one time and had deadlines and all that. So I was going to three different studios every day. You know, and it was hard work, hard work. And then I had to wake up at six in the morning to get on film set, you know, to do the movie. And uh, it was a lot of work. As a matter of fact, I kind of like took a a break. You know, the last thing I did was a Martin Luther King song. And then I took a break for about five years. Uh, Didn't go into the studio, couldn't go into the studio. Too much work and... It was too much. Because you didn't much. produce the third Fat Boys record. No. What was it like just, man? Uh, well, were you managing them at the time or just producing no, no, no. them? Their manager was a guy by the name of Charlie Stetler. Charlie from right, Disco he, Fever? Right, right. And he also um, manages Scribbles, DJ Scribbles. And, okay. And Dr. Dre and Ed Lover from Yo! MTV Raps. Right. But Charlie was their manager and uh, they were signed to Suture Records. Right. And Morris Levy. It was. It was. Wait, Morris Levy owned Sutra. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> oh no! Yeah. A lady, Steve. Yo, oh, no. that explains a lot. I never. Knew, I thought after Roulette Records and the Hitman book, I thought Morris Levy just what did left Morris the Levy do? <laughs> Dog, you just gotta read Hitman. Like <laughs> the yo, title is not good. The what, title's not good. It's, the book is Hitman. You know. Yeah. Right, right. Morris so, Levy owned Sutra? But they, were, they were some good guys. I mean, you know, from Brooklyn. Well, good fellas. And, uh, <laughs> no, the fat boys. You know. Oh, those guys. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I dream of Morris Levy. I'm like, wait a minute, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, like, for me, that album managed, you captured their, their humorous spirit in a way that, you know, uh, hip-hop hadn't seen before. Right. And especially that first record. Like that I think everyone that's of my age now, like that was their first experience. Either that or the run DMC record. Right. But um yeah, just producing I mean, how hard was it trying to explain like they don't need music and just beep the culture beatboxing and how how did you manage how many takes would it take to get like those songs per- no, perfected? They were great in the studio. It was awesome. What is on the record? That humor, that 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 genuine personality comes through mm-hmm. because I just you know let the record button go, and uh, I remember um, Buff, rest in peace. He said one time, he said, "Yo, yo, yo, Kurt, man, yo, yo, all I want is a car." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he got two houses and all of this stuff, man, and. These guys were incredible, and uh, they love music. I found out as a producer, the basic job of a producer is is to make people's dreams come true. You know, you take them around the bases and bring them home. And when you get home, you know, you have that finished product. And that's our job. Well, how weird was it letting a 14-year-old produce you? Because Salam Remy got his start as a 14-year-old kid. Well, like he had the tracks, okay, you know, and um, I wanted to give him a shot. His dad was a very good friend. He worked at at, at the record company. He was one of the promoters, mm-hmm. uh, promotion department, 
he actually introduced me to his son and said, you know, he's got some good stuff. And I said, well, uh, I'll give him a shot. How about that? You know, so he he, he did the uh, Back by Popular Demand yeah. song. Yeah. You know, and that was great. He actually asked um, uh, Molly Ma to do the scratches on it. And Molly came down to the studio. Really? Because of this kid. Oh, wow. And got on the record and started scratching. And wow, the rest is history. That's crazy. So at the end of the day, what do you want your legacy to be as far as your, I mean, you've done so many things to be first of this and first of that, like, where do you see the, the, the history of hip-hop as far as, uh, like, preserving it and, and mm-hmm. those types of things? Like, how do you want to see the, the, the culture preserved? Well, um, I'm working. Not, what do you think of rap today? Which, I hate when I get asked that question. <laughs> well, but, you know, there's, there's a, a project we're working on called the Universal Hip-Hop Museum where we want to document this history and put it in a brick-and-mortar location where the whole world can come and visit and see and be a part of of it. And just, um, you know, the many stories, the many uh, 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 lives, um, and and the many careers and, and the, the so much talent that has been a part of this way of life that it needs to be documented. It needs to be stored and cherished and supported in one place, and we're doing that, working on that right now. So you can go to uhhm.org to find out more information about the Universal Hip Hop Museum. But as for me, I want people to remember me as a guy who actually was a big part of practical study, so very important, Mm -hmm. even in music. Whatever it is that you want to do in life, I think that... um, uh, practical study is very important. You go and do your research in that field of whatever it is, doctor, lawyer, businessman, rapper, singer, uh, uh, DJ, doesn't matter. Study the history of it, and within that history, find out uh, someone who was successful uh, and, and, and study the steps that they took to achieve that success and then repeat those steps Mimic those steps, and then I guarantee you also will achieve success. So do you think then, basically, since you were the first in so many situations, because I'm thinking as you're speaking, I'm like, Curtis Blow is sitting next to us. He was the first person to get a major endorsement deal, right? Mm-hmm. In 2019, rappers right. are just blooming with endorsement deals. Basically, it seems like it should be a part of the education and matricul- matriculation as a, of an MC right. to have a Curtis Blow education since... Ooh. You were the first, right? I mean, there are other classes on other. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big, avid supporter of education. Education, education mm-hmm. is the key to success. Is the key to getting out of the ghetto. Uh, research, you know, bring the the classroom into the culture and the culture into the classroom. Very important doing your research, like I said. Um, and and we as rappers, uh, just speaking on rap, you know, the oratory. We are orators. We are communicators. So I majored in communications and studied the greatest orators of our time, like Barbara Jordan and Winston Churchill and Martin Luther King Malcolm X. And I found out that we have all of these options and windows that we can open, doors that we can open as the orators of this culture. Like, for instance, public speaking, Mm. uh, politics. You have broadcasting you know, uh, uh, television, radio, broadcasting, journalism, 
uh, here's one for you, preaching. I forgot. You are Father uh, Walker. You're ordained, correct? Ordained minister. And, yeah. and, and so, and so um, you know, in study all, studying all of the great orators of our time, I found out that the most passionate of the speakers, the oratory, or the orators were the preachers and the reverends. You know, many of those speeches like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, you know, that gave me the fortitude and, and the will and the want to to take it to the next level in this field. And um, as an MC, that means that you're a master of the ceremony. It doesn't matter what the ceremony is. You can be on the street corner in a circle full of 20 people. You can be at a club. You can be at a block party or a park jam. You can be at a community center. You can be at a concert with five people or 20,000. You know, uh, uh, you can be at a bar mitzvah, you know, wherever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Shut up, Steve. Bar mitzvah. <laughs> I'm, I've played a couple of bar mitzvahs <laughs> yeah. in my time. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, so... Uh, 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 that is the story. You are a master of any ceremony. I don't know yeah, anybody who has used their communications degree to the to the levels that you have. In this moment, I just realized that I was like, all my life, I think as a communications major, uh-huh. I was like, maybe I should have did business or something like that. But now that you've broken it down like that, yeah, no, you got some windows. You got some. You're in communication. You're literally. I am, but I, you know, you got to have some multiple hustles, as you know <laughs> yourself as a former radio host. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Yes, yes, yes. I just want to stay away from politics these days. <laughs> Ah, we need more people like you, you know, in in in, in front of the masses, you know. Um, what can I say? Wait, I I, I want to mention the, the, the nutcracker. Yeah, yeah, the nut, please. I totally forgot. <laughs> like, yes. I'm so caught in the history. I totally forgot. So yeah, the hip hop nutcracker. Explain to me this project. Like how? Wow. <laughs> well, the hip hop nutcracker is a modernized version of the classic Tchaikovsky's incredible classical music. We are now. Uh, doing hip hop dance and break dancing and 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 ballet and 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 uh, bringing the story uh, to the masses with the the culture of hip hop in the uh, forefront, and so it's a new modernized version. is is really something that every family should see as during the holiday season. You know, when, when, when love is in the air and everyone's hugging on each other and trying to thank each other for putting up with you all year long, right. you know, just go out and have a great time seeing this classic, classic um, rendition of, of uh, Tchaikovsky's hit. But um, So, like, all the songs are filtered through hip-hop, so there's, like, tra- trap versions of the Sugar Plum song. <laughs> <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. I, I, I might need to do that if yeah. it's not in there. It's incredible because we have a DJ who is actually playing beats on, under this classical under the music. Nice. And we have a, okay. an electric violinist who's doing their thing. But the creators of Jennifer Weber, I want to give her a shout out. She's also the choreographer and director. Okay. And Michael Fittison uh, 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 put together this piece that is a great, great holiday, family fun classic. So it's 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 a it's it's a show that everyone needs to see all ages, all races. It doesn't I matter. See it. yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's it's really um, a good look for hip hop and a good look for music in general. 
That's good. I mean, for you being on the, the, the forefront of, of one of the first hip-hop ballets and, and, I mean, you were there when hip-hop was in stadiums with the Fresh Fest and to go from there all the way to uh, to where we are now, that's that's quite a journey. We thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, um, I, I thank you for having me, you know, and um, a big shout-out to all the dancers who are part of that because we have so much talent that's out there, you know, these, these um, young dancers are coming out, you know, from all over the world, okay. uh, uh, and they have so much mad flavor, so many different styles from power moves to, you know, to, to the wave, to, to uh, pop locking, uh, you know. It, it's incredible to see how it's all put together and how Jennifer Weber uh, did this thing, and the choreography is incredible. Oh, thank you. Yo, shout, can I thank John and your wife Shirley too? Because this has been like a year and a half in the works. I know. We've been waiting here. Yeah. And like, <laughs> thank you, Shirley. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. you. Thank, thank you, for you Curtis, that. too. Thank you. But you know, are. take a strong woman. <laughs> you get it. You get it. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the crew, uh, Team Supreme, Unpaid Bill, Boss Bill, Sugar Steve, and Laia, uh, this is Quest Love. Thank you very much. Uh, Whose bar mitzvah did you did you play? <laughs> Yo, this Maybe is... I know them. <laughs> <laughs> we are stopping right here. Yo, this is Quest Love Supreme. We'll see you on the next round. Thank For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.